The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Okay, so we have this, this image or this idea of wind. And the word that is used for wind in the New Testament is the word, is the same word that's used for spirit. Okay, they're, they're virtually interchangeable. So as we read from the Bible tonight, I want to suggest to you that just as wind is a power that moves things, that is most of the time invisible, uh, we can we can see it through obviously things that that blow around that when we think about the holy spirit we think about this power that moves things i want to to offer to you that when we think about the holy spirit we are thinking about god on the move now to help us out uh, tonight we're going to look at acts 2 so feel free to open up there if you have your bibles we're picking up right where Janie left off last week acts 2 verse 1 it says this When the day of Pentecost came, they, the disciples, were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were being filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, did you catch that? Like the blowing of a violent wind is how the coming of the Spirit is described. And then this this perhaps bizarre incident of them speaking in different language. That when we talk about speaking in tongues, that's what tongues are. But what I really want you to catch in this first section are these last five words. As the Spirit enabled them. The Spirit is a gift giver. And we're going to return to that theme a little bit later. Now... Uh, we, we move on in verse 5. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem. God, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because... Oh, I just lost my spot. Because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? then how is it that each of us hears in our own native language? Okay, this is a key description about the speaking of tongues. This, again, this, this kind of bizarre incident uh, that, that perhaps some of you are familiar with, that everybody who is there is hearing it in their own language, seeing, seeing what's going on. And so then what follows this text, because we're going to skip forward, is just a list of all the different nationalities and all the different races of people that were present. So let's continue on in verse uh, 12. It says this, amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? All these people speaking in tongues and their ability to hear it in their own language. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Okay, now clearly, clearly Peter did not do college ministry next to a large state university with a football team. 
Because if he did, he would know that there would be very little credibility in the whole 9 a.m. not drunk in the morning defense. So, so Peter, so Peter is, he then continues uh, by telling a story from the Old Testament to those who are present. It says this, that no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. On my, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness. The moon to blood before the coming and great uh, and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Men and women, I will show you crazy town. There's going to be crazy things that happen before the Lord comes again. And anyone, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that leads us to what do you expect from the Spirit? What do you believe about God's presence in the world? Do you know? That God has poured his spirit out on you. Thank you, Noel. What do you expect from the spirit? What I want us to catch is that the spirit poured out is more than just a good feeling. It's more than just speaking in tongues. It's more than just a gift. All these things may happen, but let's get a bigger idea of how present the Holy Spirit is. To ask, who is this spirit and what does that spirit do that impacts us beyond good feelings and speaking in tongues? So first, who is the spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? I want to suggest that the Spirit is the person of God present. The Holy Spirit is the person of God present right now. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute, I thought we were talking about the Holy Spirit. I don't get the idea of, of a person, and I, and I understand that. Uh, I want to, when we talk about the Spirit being a person, we're talking, we're using language that the tradition of the church has always used. There's a great hymn in, in the Christian tradition that, that sings, Holy, 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 uh, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. So I'm using language that the church has used for a long time. And I want us to get the idea of a person. The, and the reason for that is, is that a person cannot be divided. That this, it's this idea that when this, the spirit has come, when the spirit is poured out, what is offered to us all, what was offered to the people at Pentecost was all of the spirit. And what I mean by, by thinking about it as a person is that I can't just give you my arm and then give somebody a leg and then have you, have you going, well, I got part of the spirit, but not the full thing. You see, the gift of the Spirit, when we think about it as a person, in order for that person to be maintained, you get the entire thing, not just an arm or a leg. 
And I, and, and so often I think we reduce our, our thinking about who the Holy Spirit is to this sense of, I just need to get more of the Spirit in my life. I only have an arm or I only have a leg if I can just get a little bit more. No, what has been offered to you, what has been poured out, says Acts 2, is the whole thing. The whole Holy Spirit. So that's who the Spirit is, the the entire Spirit of God present and poured out right now. So what does the Spirit do? What's the Spirit do? Recently, my three-year-old son, uh, I now have two red-headed little sons. My three-year-old named Carson uh, sits down, and it's, it's often that he, especially if it's just me and him, Carson, Carson will say, what do you want to talk about, Daddy? Which is just, from a three-year-old, I don't know whether to laugh or cry because there's, there's something that's simple about it and there's something that, that in that invitation from a three-year-old is also so, it's just so sophisticated. What do you want to talk about, Daddy? And per a habit that I've gotten into with my uh, adorable little three-year-old here, I, I just fire out back to him, I don't know, Carson, what do you want to talk about? And he says... Uh, this was this was probably about two months ago now. He uh, he says, "I want to talk about Jesus," and I'm thinking, "Yes, <laughs> succeeding as a dad." And so I, I say, "Okay, well, you know, um, what what's on your mind?" And he says, "Well." And, and Carson is so cute. As you can see here, he's pointing up. He he's he's really expressive with his hands, and he says, "Daddy, where?" is Jesus, and what does Jesus do? And I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, come on, seminary education, help me out here. So I begin to explain to Carson that Jesus comforts you when you are sad, that Jesus is is here, that Jesus wakes you up when you are sleepy, that Jesus helps you sleep when you can't sleep. Jesus makes you better When you were sick, what I found myself talking about when when Carson was asking me about Jesus is I was talking about the Holy Spirit. But you see what what I found, what I would kind of realize that I, I was doing in that was was I was talking about Jesus, talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. And what I want you to realize is that is that this person of the Holy Spirit. And the person and work of Jesus Christ cannot be separated. They go together. And as I was saying all these different things to Carson, I was, I was hoping to get him past that, that the spirit is in just one particular place or just does one particular thing for you. Trying the best I could to give him a, an idea of, of, look, Carson, Jesus is with you. He is always with you, and that is the primary work of the Spirit. Jesus and the Spirit cannot be separated. What was great is that uh, Carson, this pensive little guy, he, he kind of takes in my explanation, and then, and then he just looks at me and goes, Daddy, can Jesus make me some pancakes? <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, I, I, at that point I was like, I, I suppose you, I don't know, Carson, I don't know. Now, before we continue, I, I think it's, it's appropriate here uh, to, you know, as we're talking about the person and work of Jesus Christ and what the Spirit does. We just read this story where, where the speaking of tongues is very prominent. 
And, and we need to address this here. Now, the speaking, um, there, there's a strong association that people have with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, and, and for, for good reason. Uh, we're not going to spend too much time on this, so if you have questions later on, talk to, to me or Janie or others on our staff that would be happy to, to uh, tell you about this. But in this story, the speaking of tongues is an indicator of the presence of the Spirit. But I want to make a few points around this. First, there is no place in the Bible where the disciples or anybody else is told what they need to do to be able to speak in tongues. It is a gift that the Spirit gives, and the Spirit decides who gets it. You don't somehow earn it. It is a gift that the Spirit bestows on some, but not on all. There are several other places in Acts where believers speak in tongues, but in every case, it has nothing to do with what somebody did to make that happen. So I, I share that with you to, to relieve you of any so, sort of, of pressure or tension that you might feel to go, man, if, if I'm not speaking in tongues, do I not have myself right? And, and if I'm going to speak in tongues, how do I get myself right enough that the Spirit would bestow that gift? It doesn't work that way. The Spirit either gives the gift um, or doesn't. Now, I want to say that I believe that the Spirit does give this gift. Some people think that the speaking of tongues is, is pretty is pretty hokey, but I'll, I'll stand in front of you and say, I believe that this still happens, that the Spirit gives these gifts in the same way that, that happened at Pentecost, but I believe it to be very rare. And for transparency's sake, I will tell you that I, uh, I myself have never had this experience, and that's because I do believe it to be pretty rare. More importantly, Scripture bears witness to this, this gift of tongues being one of many gifts, and in fact, it's a lesser gift. Okay, It's something that happens, and it came in a spectacular way on Pentecost, but it is, among all the, the, the different gifts, this is a lesser one. For example, 1 Corinthians 14 says this, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire Spiritual gifts. Okay, I want to I want to emphasize that eagerly desire the gifts, especially he says the gift of prophecy. For who for those who can speak in a tongue do not speak to other people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them; they are utter mysteries by the Spirit. But those who prophesy speak to people for their strengthening, their encouragement, and comfort. Those who speak in a tongue edify themselves, but those who prophesy edify the the community, the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. Those who prophesy are greater than those who speak in a tongue, unless they interpret so that the church may be edified. Okay, Paul goes on to say later on in this passage that I would rather have five intelligible words than 10,000 words spoken in tongues. Okay, I share this to, to, uh, with you to say that certainly in the opinion of Apostle Paul, there are more important gifts. And when, in here, when we talk about prophecy, it's a really simple way to say that we are talking about telling the truth. Prophecy is not fortune telling. It's not merely being able to see into the future. It's just speaking forth the truth of God to a world that desperately needs to hear that truth. Now, tongues get a lot of attention because it is literally loud and elicits this kind of, of crazy effect. 
But what really frames this whole thing in, in 1 Corinthians 14 that I want to point out is that this, of course, comes after 1 Corinthians 13, which is the great love is patient, love is kind. You know, um, love is the greatest of these things. You know, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And then he says, follow the way of love. Okay, you're seeing where this is going. Okay, follow the way of love. The bigger point that I want to get us to tonight is less about specific gifts and small manifestations of the Spirit and get to this reality that what the Spirit of God does is transform. What the Spirit of God does is transformation. And that often happens in ways that are smaller and quieter than it does in big, loud ways. For example, this thing that we're doing here, the inn, is probably the thing that University Ministries is most known for. This thing, uh, the inn, has been around for about 40 years, and, and at least once a year I have uh, a student come up and say, my parents met at the inn. You know, and, and I always love that. It's like, hey, you know, something's going right. And, you know, somebody's somebody's here in, in front of us. You know, people are meeting each other at the inn and it's going a long ways. It's awesome. Okay, the inn is, of course, several hundred students every week. We've got a, a good band. There's a speaker up here that's high on boyish charm and manly physique. <laughs> but if all you do is come to the inn, honestly, I would expect some growth. But not as much growth as if you joined a core group. Or if you accepted the invitation to go on deputation. Or to go on a spring break mission trip. It's the stuff that happens beyond the 70 uh, or so minutes that we spend here on a Tuesday night. This thing that we do that we're most known for. This loudest thing that we do. Transformation happens in the smaller stuff. Now, what I'm not trying to do here is, is say that these, these big, loud manifestations of the Spirit are bad. No, they're very good. Those of us that have ever had that, that experience where everybody in the room is sensitive to the Spirit and being caught up in that, it's an awesome, awesome feeling, and it's a good thing. But what I want us to see is that there are so many other ways that the Spirit are present, and we can't count on this big emotional sweep where everybody's on board for it to say that was a successful interaction with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is present right now and will be present when you walk out of here tonight and open up your books and go to sleep and get up in the morning in all those, those subtle ways. The Spirit is present and always pointing you towards Jesus. A wind moving you toward the way of love, as the Apostle said, that is not often, in fact, rarely is it a hurricane or a monsoon. More often, it's the gentle breeze that maybe gives you a chill or perhaps cools you off. That's the, present of the, that's the presence of the Spirit. And being transformed in the way of love simply looks like this list in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Too often we think that in order to get the Spirit to fall on us, we have, to, we have to get these things in our life first. No. 
This is what the Spirit produces in our lives. It's not getting this first. This is what the Spirit brings about. And it can be a slow and unspectacular and gradual process. We skip ahead to Acts 2, verse 36 through 39. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said, Peter, to the other apostles, brother, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ and for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Let me make this as simple as I can for you. Here's an image of what the Holy Spirit is all about, what the Spirit does. Okay, if I'm, I'm going to be the Holy Spirit, and this is going to, I know, you guys are thinking, wow, you're giving yourself way too much credit, dude. Okay, this is what the Spirit does. You see, what's happening in this, the spirit reemerges. The spirit is not about bringing attention to itself. The spirit is about pointing you, pointing all people to Jesus. And so, you know, even, even in an environment like this, the goal is not for a pastor to stand up in front of you and call you to me. The goal is to stand up, and if the work of the Spirit is happening, we're pointing you to Jesus, and that work is happening. The work of the Spirit is to point people to Jesus, and the text that we just read is a so what. So what do we do? The Spirit has pointed people to Jesus, and the call is to repent. That is to change, to be transformed, The call to be baptized is to be marked by what God has already done. And you will be given the gift of the Spirit, and that is a promise for all. So the question is not if the Spirit is present. The question is, how will we respond to the Spirit? What does this look like in your life? What does it look like for us as, as, as you often hear prayed from up in front of the inn, either by myself or Janie or the other, other speakers, we often pray, Lord, make us attentive to your spirit. What is, what does that mean? A couple of stories from my own life. When, when I was in college, I, uh, I lived in a fraternity here and at one point I decided that it would be a really, really good idea for me to have a fake ID. And so I pursued getting that fake ID so that I could go out with my friends, though I was obviously not of, of age. And, and as I got this ID, I was pretty excited about it, and I continued to use it, continued to use it. And there was something that happened that as I would continue to use it, there was, there was something in me that every time I would use it, I would find myself going, ah, this doesn't quite feel right, but I want to I do this kind of ignoring those feelings of continuing to do it, continuing to do this, continuing to do this, to use this fake ID. You see, it's those feelings of going, man, I know 
that this isn't right. That was this idea of being cut to the heart. It was this idea of the spirit was present. And I did everything I could to say, no, not now. I'm going to ignore this, this spirit. The spirit was present. And I knew it. It wasn't until later, after a rather unfortunate incident, that I was able to go, okay. Unsuccessful. That was, that was riding into a headwind. That was the wind blowing hard right into my face as I continued to use that ID, ID, though I was being cut to the heart. See, the Spirit convicted me over time. It was not a... It took a while. A couple of years later, I was one who often sat on the, on the fringes of this room and heard people talk about deputation over and over again. And finally, after about three years, I said, okay, I'll fill out an application. I'll do this. I'll go. And it was over those eight weeks in the Republic of, of Haiti, there was something about this change of scenery. It's not that the Spirit of God was more present in Haiti. It's that there was something that allowed me to be more responsive to what the Spirit was doing in that moment. Where I began to, to gain a vision for what, what praying every day and what reading the Bible looked like. Attentiveness to the spirit where the wind seemed to be at my back. The wind of God is pointing you to Jesus. That's what the spirit does. It's blowing you to join this revolution of love that transforms you and in so doing transforms the world. The Holy Spirit is God's mode of getting you to know the power and love of God that much more. So tonight in closing, I want to give you this, this parable about the Holy Spirit that comes from a, an author and theologian named Dale Bruner. It's about a man and his son who have a very close relationship. They decide uh, together to begin uh, doing a project together. And this project is, is collecting and doing art. And over the years, they compile this, this awesome collection of art and, and even do a little bit of it uh, together. Then one uh, unfortunate day, this, this war breaks out and the son is drafted to go into war. This dad and this son uh, obviously love each other and the, the dad um, reluctantly commissions him uh, to go into war and, will, and, and misses him desperately as he goes. And of course, in the course of battle, the son is killed. The father is devastated. For he deeply loved his son. Not long after his son's death, this father hears a knock at the door and goes there to see a soldier who had served alongside his son in battle. And the soldier hands him a copy of a crudely drawn picture of his son fighting in this battle. The father receives it, and it immediately becomes his favorite piece in the entire collection. It becomes the center of this otherwise incredible art collection. Well, not long after, the father dies, and this art collection is going to be auctioned off. And at the auction, the auctioneer uh, says that there's 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 going to be two rules, and the first rule is this, that that this crude drawing of the son in battle. This crudely drawn picture is going to be the first item up 
for auction. So they, they proceed with the auction, and not many people are, well, nobody's bidding on it, except for this gardener. This gardener who had known both the father and the son who bids on this crudely drawn picture of this beloved son. Sure enough, he wins, and the auctioneer's gavel goes down. He awards it and says, the second rule of the auction is this, that whoever won this piece of art wins the entire collection. You see, the invitation that we have is to receive perhaps this subtle, perhaps this crude presence that allows us to see the beauty, the bigness, the timelessness of the living God and to be transformed by it. That's the work of the Spirit. And what does that transformation look like? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for being with us. Uh, Thank you for the, the subtle ways that you work. Thank you for saving our lives. Uh, Lord, thank you for giving yourself to us. And so, Lord, as we uh, complete our time together, be enthroned on the praises of your people, uh, Lord, we thank you for for who you are and help us uh, to know you more. In Jesus' name, 